Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. This is a new episode with Africa Brooke. She is a consultant, coach, writer and speaker who specialises in helping many people overcome their challenges related to self-censorship and self-sabotage. I love her straightforward yet compassionate, no BS route to helping people. She helps people examine what is really going on with them, establishing boundaries, defining values. And there is such a genuine curiosity to Africa's work which just keeps compelling me to read more. In January 2021, Africa published an open letter called Why I'm Leaving the Cult of Wokeness. And it garnered a lot of traction online. It's actually now been read by over 5 million people. So it really spurred something. And I wanted to invite her on to talk about that, why she thinks it gains so much traction, why we need to have more uncomfortable conversations with each other. And I love what she says about inviting people into the grey, discussing the grey area more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I loved it. We got to do it in person, which is always a treat. And if you enjoyed it, please do consider going and leaving a little review. So here is the episode with Africa Brooke. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. I've been following your work for a long time. And yeah, I just wanted to let the listeners know we're in person. You can imagine us. Africa's wearing an amazing kind of leopard print, animal print jumper, which I'm loving. So (laughs) thank you, first of all. So I wanted to kick off before we get into some of the amazing topics that you talk about, which is why I'm so excited about this conversation today. Could you just give us a little bit in a nutshell, what got you to this point? Yes. When did you start your Instagram? What did you start off talking about? How has it evolved? Just a little snippet into the last few years. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I think to really lay out the picture, I can just clearly define what it is that I do now. Um, So I'm a accredited coach, I'm a consultant, and I'm a writer as well. And as a coach and consultant, I mainly focus on two pillars, self-sabotage and self-censorship. And it's a journey that began for me five years ago when I got sober. And some people that are familiar with me would have heard this story many times, but I didn't just make a decision to suddenly get sober for my lifestyle and my health. And it was just fluid from then. It was actually the eighth time me trying. So I had relapsed seven times prior to that. And what was different about this final time is that instead of shaming myself, which I had always done, instead of um, trying to create all these new strategies, and by strategy, I mean, you know, trying to moderate moderation works for other people, but it just didn't work for me. I was a binge drinker and I blacked out pretty much every single time that I drank. So strategies looked like I'm going to have a glass of wine, maybe I'll have two and then I'll have water and then maybe I'll have another one. But it was actually torture because that's not what I wanted at all. I wanted to get absolutely fucked up. That that was my intention. Didn't matter if I was at a baby shower, at a wedding, or just a very quick lunch. It was the same behavior every single time. I, I felt so out of control. Um, so, of course, with that came a lot of shame, came a lot of guilt, um, and just anxiety. Because when you black out, you have no idea what's happened. You could have done absolutely anything. And that was me. So I needed other people to piece what had happened. Um So what was different about 2016 when I finally ended up getting sober, continuous sobriety to today? um, I just started to get a little bit curious. And I think curiosity is something we're going to speak about a little bit. But instead of shaming myself, instead of being so sucked into my own subjective experience, 
I actually wanted to understand what is happening to me on a brain-based level. What is happening to me in terms of behavior? And I've always been interested in psychology um, and different aspects of self-help, the kind of abstract, but also the science-based stuff. So I decided to look at my own experience from that lens, just self-study, listening to other people talk. And my Instagram started on the very day that I decided I was going to do this again. Mm. And the reason people might think, why the fuck would you choose Instagram? I didn't know anyone else that was sober. I Mm. didn't know anyone else. I was 24. So all my age mates were kind of participating in similar behavior, but they didn't have a severe problem in the way that I did, or if they did, I didn't know about it. Um, And I've always been a writer. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to start a private journal. Uh, It's not about a following. There was no one that I was following. No one was following me. Um, And I was like, you know what, anytime that I feel I'm going to drink, I'll just write about it. Anytime that I'm really proud of myself for getting through another day or another week, I'll just share that as well. And something that I used to do when I was still drinking, I would take all of these really beautiful photos of my cocktails. You know, even though there was so much darkness that came with it, these photos were so wonderful. And my blog essentially was anonymous. So I would just post a photo of my cocktail and just write something about my experience with drinking. And I would use all of these different hashtags, um, sober London, sober girls. And then eventually you find other people. But again, it wasn't I I had no intention to build any kind of brand or a blog or to brand sobriety because sobriety is pretty brandable these days. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like that at all in 2016. So it just grew from me sharing my own subjective experience, building that curiosity around human behavior. Why do we do the things we do? The duality of being human, our bad, quote unquote, bad and messy, awkward aspects of self, but also the fact that we can be lovely. We can be all these other things. Um, And then I started to think, you know what, I'm going to get training in this so that I move away from it being about me and I can see how I could possibly support other people. So over the years, that's how it's evolved. So now I no longer look at self-sabotage or aspects of self-censorship, which is what I was experiencing with alcohol as well. Through the lens of sobriety, it started to evolve into other areas, whether it's business, whether it's your career, whether it's in familial relationships. And where it stands today is me looking at those two pillars, self-sabotage and Mm self-censorship through the cultural lens. So that's that's, that's the journey. That's an amazing (laughs) summing up of it, because what an incredible journey. Like you say, it's kind of, I guess what we all do on a certain level in this industry but yeah. you kind of pivot and find your niche and you find right. your thing and it's very all comes from a very organic and very authentic place which yes. I absolutely love yes. but that's so interesting about self-sabotage isn't it that once you really boil it down I feel like every time I'm about to self-sabotage it's an emotion that is happening yes. and I can now spot it when I'm about to do it mm-hmm. but that I mean I've you know that sounds so simplistic it's a really deep excavation to get there but it's it's almost like you're investigating what that trigger is right when when you spot it do you feel like you're able to then change your behavior immediately or do you sometimes find that you spot it 
but you you'll continue anyway sometimes I lean into it but I'm aware of it and yeah. it's kind of trippy because I know exactly what I'm doing yeah but <laughs> I heard Martha Beck who's an incredible Harvard trained oh, sociologist she's, incredible. she's amazing she's and one of hilarious favorites but she has explained it as walking back the cat which is a phrase you get in crime fiction where a a detective walks back the cat as in finds the chronological time stamp of when a murder happens and she says that's like self-sabotage you have to go back to the scene of the crime and find what that trigger was and for me it's it's basically a kind of insecurity or like a self-loathing or a I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. and then I reach for the thing that's going to self-sabotage me yeah oh I resonate with that so much because the the thing is I think uh, there can be the assumption for example you have your incredible book I love that book and I can't wait to read the new one Um, but I, I think it's very easy for people to think that because you talk about something and you've explored something long enough that means you don't experience it but this is why I think it's important just the little chat that we've just had now about that it still happens still happens what I think is you just get better at observing yourself I think that's the most important thing and then shifting your behavior even in the slightest way um because I don't I I think it's something that presents itself in so many different areas and some people bring it out of you some situations bring it out of you you might not even realize that you're doing it but I think training yourself to observe is what I've realized Mm -hmm. works for me anyway I do feel like there is a compassion to what you talk about and you're sort of giving everyone a bit of a chance, mm-hmm. which I feel is rare at the moment. Yeah, thank you for that reflection. It, it's something that I always like to say, yes, I, I'm firm and I'm very direct, but it's all driven by compassion and respect. For me, those are my grounding values. Whether I'm having a one-to-one conversation or a one-to-many conversation, um, I have to come from a place of compassion because if I'm not doing that, I feel that I'm crossing my own boundaries. Um, So that's something that's very, very important for me. And I I also understand that the conversations that I have, especially today, are very polarizing. They are very polarizing. I am talking about things that other people would rather not talk about, which is interesting because if you were to say, or if someone listening to this is thinking, well, Africa, what are you talking about? I'm just talking about the fact that, hey, guys, I think we've <laughs> we're in the extreme right now. Let's find what the middle ground looks like. Um, and for whatever reason, that seems to be a very divisive topic to say, you know what, we've gone to the extremes. Let's try and find some kind of healthy medium. Um, and essentially, that's at the core of my conversations, because how that ties in with self-sabotage is that I believe that we are seeing collective sabotage mm-hmm. at this moment in time, where very well-intentioned people are starting to behave in ways that probably go against a lot of their core values. But it's gone so far and the behavior is so repetitive at this point in time that it's starting to become the default. And it's not just happening on an individual level, it's happening on a very collective level um, where we're getting in the way of our ultimate goal as a as a society. So that's the part that I'm very much interested in, the collective sabotage. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because mm. the way I think when I'm in my extreme beliefs, if you flip it, that the very person that I'm thinking is wrong has the exact opposite on me. It's very meta. Oh, it's just crazy. But maybe we could just bring up then the letter you wrote yes. at the beginning of this year, just because mm-hmm. it went everywhere. I think Gosh. four million people have read it now. Yeah. So it's called... 
why I'm leaving the cult of wokeness, mm-hmm. which as a as a title, I feel it doesn't sum up the nuance either of it. No. But it's a pretty great title <laughs> for people bad. to click on it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Could you talk about what led you to write that? Because it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant read. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that letter. Oh, goodness. Um, I would say it took me about an hour to actually write the letter, but it took me about two years to master up the courage to even put those words down. And I wrote that letter essentially to say, I'm not participating in the game of dehumanizing each other anymore. I'm not participating in the extremes. I'm not participating in any movement or in any kind of culture that requires me to be operating from a very venomous place all the time. And in that letter, there's so much nuance. In that letter, I also mentioned that this is not me saying that certain systems don't exist because they very much do. They very much do. But I think we need to be able to hold multiple truths, right? We need to acknowledge the systems that we lived live under, but we also need to be able to acknowledge the complexity of being human. Um, because for me, last summer, I would say was the nail in the coffin for a lot of reasons. I And I understand the deep pain and frustration that many people felt, many people in my community, myself, and, you know, but I think... And I, I still don't have the language for it really, but I think something also happened then when we internalized and started to express this idea that anyone who is not in absolute agreement, anyone who doesn't share the exact same belief system as me, deserves to be seen as less than human. Where we started to cyber bully in the name of social justice. Um, and I'm so glad that many people are starting to speak out about that now because we're realizing, okay, something something isn't quite right about the way that we're relating to each other, especially online. So this letter, and I mean, you can you can find it and read it. It's four thousand words, but I'll put it in the link. Thank you for this episode. This letter was me just saying, I whatever this game is, I'm I'm opting out because it's not working. It's making all of us very sick. It's making us more divided than ever. There must be a better way to do this. And why I'm leaving the cult of wokeness was essentially Mm. all of those things. It feels so timely, but it also feels, and maybe this is maybe too optimistic, but the things that have happened in the last year, the conversations we're having that we couldn't have had a year ago, Mm -hmm. the rate of change and the speed of, I don't know, growth or, or change, or I don't know what it is, I feel like yes. what's happened in the last year would have taken maybe 20 years in the past. Oh, yeah. It comes back to being able to hold multiple truths to say, you know what, because of everything that happened last year, whether it's the racial reckoning or everything that has happened with COVID, but also an essential piece. And I wonder what you think about this. I think our lives, our intimate lives are now so heavily politicized in a way that we have never seen it before. Um, And I think that also plays a part in it. So I don't think it's just about the individual and personal responsibility. I think there are many things outside of our control that are influencing the way we are with each other. Because I wrote down something you'd said, um, I've heard you say, about identity markers. Mm. I've never heard that phrase before. Mm. Of course, that's what it is. I feel like we're walking around with these flags on us to say, like, this is who I am. And I actually, I, I had a strange falling out with a friend last year because I said I wasn't sure who I was going to vote for. It was like, oh, I'm not sure 
Yeah. And because I didn't immediately say I was voting for the political party she 100% is voting for, I was honestly like pushed away. Because it's, uh, and, and that's, again, essentially something that is at the core of any conversation I have, whether it's a public one or a private one, is just to say, let's zoom out. Again, that's zooming out. And it's a term that I use often because I think it's really important. We're so in, we're very much inside it at the moment. We're very much locked into binary thinking. And I think it could be, it's it's useful in other ways, right? When you need to make a quick decision and you need to cross the road, you it's left or right and you just go. It, it can be useful. But I think as a default, it can be very, very harmful. And we're seeing it in our relationships, mm-hmm. right? If you don't make a decision that mirrors your friendship group, you are at this moment in time in the Western world at risk of being ostracized from that group. Mm-hmm. So what do you then do? Do you decide that you're going to be in integrity with yourself and say, actually, no, this is what I stand for and risk that? Or do you just mirror everything they think and say so that you can be accepted well? Mm. A lot of people and how we're just wired naturally, we will choose to just put aside our own thoughts, our own opinions, our own ideas, and we'll mirror the group Mm. so that we don't get cast out. Which is why it would have been I'm assuming quite a moment for you to publish that let- oh, that gosh. letter. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And and you know what, at the same time I was just done. I I was done because I knew that again for me and I, I've already said it before but crossing my own boundaries, I know that very well from trying to get sober. I know it very well from relapsing so many times so aggressively. So I I think anything that I go through, I have something to compare it to where I crossed my boundaries so many times that it nearly killed me. So I experienced very similar things um, from 2019 when I started to see just how the extremes of identity politics were pretty much taking over the way we relate to one another. Um, But at that time, I, I didn't have the language for it. I didn't know what to call it. I just knew that I was having a very physical response to it. Um, I started to get chronic migraines. Um which I realized for me, and I had experienced this before, that it was a symptom of me censoring myself, a symptom of me being so afraid in my own mind, which I think is probably one of the most dangerous things when you're terrified in your own mind. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I think I did have that anxiety, of course, but I also was just so done at that point. And I... I first sent it to my newsletter of only about 2,000 people. So I was like, oh, I'm going to write this, get this out, and then it's, it's going to be done. I read it as part of your newsletter. <laughs> I remember just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and I was like, I need to read this whole really? thing right now. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So it was just to a small group of people. Then I thought to myself, actually, but there's safety in this group because it's people that already know me, people that are more willing to understand I need to put it out somewhere where it can actually sit. So I shared it on my social media. And I mean, it just fucking took off. And I think the timing of it as well, it was around the, it was after the US elections. And there was so much tension already with so many things that were happening. So I think the timing of the letter as well really had something to do with the reason why it's been read by nearly nearly five million people at this wow. point in time. Wow. Right. Because with self-censorship, it's interesting what you say about how we censor ourselves so much to the point it can make us ill. Yeah. I feel like people could get confused with 
not censoring, equaling, some sort of like unlimited free speech yes. saying whatever they want at any time and I yes. feel like we should make the distinction between oh, because this 100%. isn't about that it's more about living in your own truth 100% and this is something I say all the time Emma I I wouldn't even say I'm a free speech absolutist at all because I think that's a conversation that has to be had with nuance but the way that I simplify it in everyday conversation is like this we all need a social filter we we all need a social... In fact, we have it. There are things that um, you might be thinking in your mind, but it's not appropriate for you to say at all, for whatever reason. Maybe depending on the person's age, depending on the person's culture, depending on the language that you're using. So a social filter is very important. And there are consequences to speech. I think in the conversations of self-censorship, which is why I always like to give the disclaimer too... It's not about saying whatever the fuck you want with no consequences. It's not about that at all. But self-censorship is a completely different beast. It has nothing to do with that. It always stems from fear. It stems from fear because you're afraid of being ostracized, what we call as being cancelled. Um, you're afraid of being perceived as something that you're not. You're afraid of people misrepresenting what you're trying to say. So you just choose. And also some people self-censor in different cultures for many different reasons because the, the risk might be very, very high because their life, their actual life might be at risk. Depending what kind of system governs the country that you live in, you're not even able to criticize your president or to say this mm -hmm. is not okay. And I'm from a country that is very similar, Zimbabwe. So self-censorship is a completely different beast. It's something that needs to be spoken about. Whereas a social filter is something that we all need. And you need to understand that if you're going to express something that you know is going to be controversial, polarizing, etc., you need to understand that there are consequences to that. And your responsibility, and I always feel I have a responsibility when I speak, to be very informed on what I'm talking about. It's not always going to be perfect because everyone's going to receive it in a different way. Always approach it from a mindful place, respect and integrity of self. And this is why social media is such a strange beast, because if we're all walking around self-censoring so much that we want to be palatable to every human being that comes across us <laughs> we are just literally walking around not being yeah. ourselves and that is so damaging I wonder if it's you know I know we've just been through a pandemic so it's been hard for people to truly connect but I my belief is like you need a certain group of people who are your friends and your family to see the real you not everyone needs to see yes. the real you at all times necessarily I don't even know if that's possible on social media because I, I think, think I've is. heard you say on another podcast and it was like however many hundreds of thousands of internet users are on the internet every day, you post one thing, of course it's going to be taken 100,000 million different ways. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And again, it's to me that comes from um, just zooming out a little bit to just allow yourself to see that, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm putting this out to, even if it's 200 people, 200 people yeah. that will receive it very differently similar to how if you know you have siblings or your family members I have two older sisters and one younger brother and we all lived in the same household had the same parents but our experiences of even the same incident very different mm -hmm. very very different and we grew up in the same home and we, we're related right so imagine 
putting something out, an experience that is so unique to you, but then putting it out to hundreds of people and then thousands, maybe even millions, depending on your audience, and then expecting that it's going to be received in the same way by everyone. Or the other side of that is the person that is reading it, expecting that it's going to be fucking tailored for them. A stranger. Crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> I I really realised how much I was watering myself down over the years and I really tried to make a pact really? with myself. And I feel like this is what your work really encourages me to do is it's actually am I comfortable with myself? Yes. At the end of the day, am I just being the person I want to be? And then that should lead the way versus... Yes doing a survey of like what do you want me to say right. which I feel like a lot of internet creators do and, I, and I'm not judging them it's just it's very what do you want yeah not what what shall I do and then attract yeah. the right people to that it, it's an important thing to acknowledge because it's very much real and I say that not from a place of assumption but because I actually work with a lot of these people um, I work with people that are creators who might have a small following then I work with hyper visible famous people but it's all the same thing that fear of, um, for a lot of people, it's the fear of the mob, right? Yeah, which is a real fear. Oh, definitely. it's a very, re- it's not irrational. It's mm. not, it's not at the point where it's irrational or anything because it only takes you, gosh, it, you don't even have to say much. And someone will just pick out something, take it out of context, or give meaning to something that you've said, or respond to something that you haven't actually said you've seen what happens to other people you've seen what happens to other people so you don't want that to happen to you so you try to kind of think okay what is the best way to avoid that happening to me so I guess I can't give my actual opinions how I feel about this so I have to keep everything safe keep everything as safe and broad as possible but actually what that does is that then it stifles your creativity you have writers that feel that they're not able to even write in the way that they could have before Mm -hmm. especially the creative industry this stuff is I mean, it's it's something else, but it's not even anything that um, people who are hyper visible are experiencing. It's people that don't even have social media in or use it in that way. So it's just, yeah, which is why I think conversations like this, I'm just so glad that you and I are even having this because I think there would have been a time where maybe even either of us would have been way too afraid to even broach this conversation. Yeah. Right? For sure. For sure. And I think with the, I love what you say about inviting people into the grey. Yes. And how you need to kind of explore that area, which can be quite uncomfortable. How do you live in that that area Mm. day to day, do you think? That's a very good question. On a day to day, I would say it's quite practical in the sense that I listen to people that I don't necessarily agree with. And there was a time where I would have never done that before. Um, I remember actually, it's slight tangent, but it ties into this. I, I remember when I first started to realize, okay, I'm in a in a lot of echo chambers. And I didn't even have the language to call it an echo chamber. I just knew that when I am in my real life with my family members, I'm finding it very difficult to have conversations with them because we don't agree on a lot of things. They could have asked me even the simplest question and I would just have a physiological response to it and get defensive by default because how can they even ask that? It wasn't even about 
the content of what they're saying, but it's the how how are you even asking that? Mm. And I realized that my digital world, I was expecting my digital world to reflect my physical world. Because my digital world, I can curate it. I can follow people that echo my thoughts and my beliefs. And and there's a safety that comes with that. And I'm not disregarding it. It's important for a lot of reasons. But because I was spending more of my time in terms of deeper discussions, communication, etc. there than in my real life with my family, I was struggling to engage with them in any kind of meaningful way or to handle disagreement. I, To put it very simply, I realized that I can't handle conflict or disagreement mm. and not even um, a conflict that is harmful to me, but a healthy conflict where someone is like, actually, I don't agree with that because and then you have a debate and then it's, you know, I, I wasn't able to defend any position of mine. Right, right. And I knew that, OK, something isn't quite yeah, right. I'm in deep here into something I right? can't see. Yeah. Right. And I had the option. And this is important because I think sometimes we think we don't have an option, but even on a subconscious level, I can either get very defensive, push my family away, tell them that I'm wrong, be self-righteous. I can double down, essentially, which is what many people choose to do. Or I can just quite, I can just look at why, why do I feel so uncomfortable that my mum has asked this question because she doesn't quite understand. It's because I'm occupying spaces and spending more of my time in spaces where questions are not really allowed. Questions like that are not really allowed. They're not on the approval list of things you can and can't talk about. But the real world doesn't operate in that way. When I started to realize that I wasn't even able to tolerate even the simplest questions, then that raised alarms for me. So I started to listen to people that I had completely decided that I will never listen to at all because I had been told how I should feel about them or they just didn't seemingly align with my beliefs, my values, my opinions, my ideas. And it was very jarring to begin with, trying to listen to someone that thinks in a very different way to me and to just sit there and listen, not for agreement, not for disagreement, just curiosity. Um, so that's something that I started doing about two years ago or so. And it comes back to your question about how do I stay in the gray? I still do that now. I'll listen to different speakers. Um, I'll listen to different podcasts and just hear different things. Even I'm not religious anymore, but even some religious people, I'll just hear their views. Um, so I try to keep myself in a place where I'm not just having my belief system championed and reinforced. But at the same time, I'm not doing it to challenge myself all the time, every single day, because I do like the safety of listening to people that I like. Yeah, we, I, and that's important as well. Um, so that's how I keep myself in the gray. And when someone disagrees with me, I do still get that initial, I call it the initial ouch, where you're like, oh, y- you disagree with me? and I think it's just a human thing when someone says actually I don't agree then you're like and then you become quite alert and you want to know what don't you agree with so I always spot those little moments and I just laugh at myself and then I just tune into it again because again it's not about um, me being perfect in my behavior I've just become so much better at observing and then shifting something yeah. right oh that's so interesting because I I'm trying to rewire that feeling when someone says I don't agree, I'm trying to almost be like, oh, interesting. 
But I was tested recently when I saw that you spoke to Jordan Peterson. Really? And I had to have a moment with myself. <gasps> Tell I me about that. I had to sit that. with it. I had to, I had to think, because I've actually, I've never read any of his books. I've never mm-hmm. listened to one of his podcasts. Mm-hmm. But in my head, bad. Yeah. And so seeing you talk to him and I listened to your talk with him, mm. I was like, wow, that's an interesting thought I had. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And you're, of course, you won't be the only one. And I'm sure some people listening to this, if they are, I really hope they go and check that episode out because the amount of people, and I'm getting chilled, the amount of people um, that have sent me messages, especially women, actually, that have sent me messages saying, I would have never in my entire life listened to anything that has anything to do with Jordan Peterson. And I decided to listen to your episode and then I listened to a few more of his lectures and I can't believe that I went on for so long allowing everyone else to tell me how I should feel about Mm. this person. Um, And it was also brilliant because of that. I also had a few of my trans friends who I didn't know were huge fans of Jordan Peterson telling me how much his work has been influential. One of my friends was telling me that when he was very close to suicide, he found some of Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures and they really lifted him out of a deep place. Then my brother was telling me that he's always... It's almost like the veneer continued to just crack And that reminded me of why I do the work that I do and why these conversations are important because to just discard someone based on something that you've heard, Mm -hmm. now I just find it, I I personally wouldn't be able to do it anymore. And it doesn't mean I have to accept anything. You're allowed to have boundaries. So if for whatever reason someone says, no, I just choose not to engage, you're allowed to have your own boundaries. And at the same time, I think it's important to just tune into curiosity and say, let's just see what this is. Let's just see what this is. Definitely. No commitment. You know, I might go and go down a rabbit hole and read more of his work and, and still think, oh, I'm not sure. Exactly. You know, disclaimer. I, I feel like maybe I will still have a problem with some of his stuff. Yeah. But it was based on hearsay or things I'd heard. Yeah. That worried me because what else am I doing that? Right. Who, who else am I doing that to? Right. And what you guys spoke about in terms of dehumanising people, I think that's what we're talking about here. That's so if it. anyone listening is like, oh, I was, I was on board until you mentioned his name, for example. Mm. It's what we're talking about. We're talking about digging deeper and just questioning, questioning yeah. your beliefs, not in a gaslighty way, yes. just in a like sit by yourself and meditate way. Right, right. And we don't have to agree. See, here's another thing about it. Um, sometimes we find ourselves saying, well, I don't agree with everything, but do you agree with any, 100% of what anyone says? You probably don't agree with some of the, the shit that you were saying a year ago or yes. two. Yes. So why do we not? And of course, I say that fully understanding that some people are more controversial than others. So that disclaimer does offer safety to who you might be speaking to. But it's just something to just look at and be like, huh, isn't that interesting that here I stress to say, I don't agree with 100%, but... There's no 100% to agree with anyone. And I think that's probably also part of this, just extending the same grace you would wish for yourself because you're you're not the same person that you were five years ago, 10 years ago. The difference is just some people's past is online and Mm -hmm. it's public for the world to see. But for the average person, it's not. 
You know, people don't feel the same way as they did maybe four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. It's impossible. Some people might, but on average, everyone changes. Exactly. And that's the thing that shouldn't even be radical, this idea that we right. all change because the council culture labelling system, mm-hmm. we, we want to be like, this is a cardboard cutout of this person and they are this and and they're over there. But actually, I change, we all change yeah. day to day. Yes. If we'd have this conversation a week ago, I might have said some different things. Yes. And, and if we had it in a month's time, we might have said different things again. And it's like that kind of kind of cliche idea of, but I love it, of like we never step in the same river twice. Mm. And every single time we do something, we've changed a little bit. So if we we just need to take people in the present moment a bit more. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I think that ties in with compassion. Yeah. I think just a bit of compassion and understanding um, and also emphasising on the fact that you can do all of those things while maintaining your boundaries. And it reminds me of what you were saying earlier about differentiating between self-censorship and, you know, saying whatever you want to say. It's understanding that you can do all of these things and maintain your boundaries. You don't have to choose one over the other mm-hmm. at all. And I, I think that's what we're forgetting a little bit, that we get to have more than one thing and they can all coexist at, at the same time. And some things might contradict each other, but that's just the nature of being human. Yeah. It really is. Yes. Walking contradictions yes. at all times. Yes. So talking of boundaries then, because mm. your job and what you do, you know, you do lots of things. You, you're very generous with your work. You show up and you... You're making change and you're having difficult conversations. And, you know, I can imagine it takes a lot of energy sometimes. How do you maintain your boundaries? Like any tips Mm. for people? Because it could be relatable even to someone who's just getting loads of emails all the time. Like how do we reserve that a little bit? Oh, that's a good question. I am a very slow liver in the sense that I... Someone else's urgency doesn't have to be my urgency is the way that I operate. (laughs) And most things are not as urgent as we think they are. Um, So I always give myself, for example, even whether it's emails or DMs, etc. I give myself about 48 hours to respond. I think things can wait. Mm -hmm. I think things can wait. I think that's probably one of the most practical things, sometimes a little bit longer. Um, But also when it comes to things like social media, I don't see it as the be all end all of what I do. I think people can maybe see the profile that I have and the kind of following that I have and assume that that is my work. Instagram is not my work, not even close. The work that I do lives in the real world with my clients, the conversations that I have, where I speak, my interactions with people, wanting to understand the nature of what is actually happening to us right now. And I just share aspects of my work on social media. So I don't have a big commitment to social media. I'm very good at detaching from it. I'm not perfect at all. Sometimes I'll just scroll and kind of, you know, do other things. But um, for the first, for example, for the first hour of the day, I just won't go on social media. And I think there would have been a time when that's not like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Because it's only an it's only an hour when you think Mm -hmm. about it. Right. But I think having that for myself is something that is really important to me. It's a good boundary because it means I'm not tuning into everyone else's world for the first hour of my day at the very least, at the very least. Um, 
And I would say that's that's about it a little bit. It's really what, good to know because yeah. I do think it can be a bit strangely anxiety inducing if if we are led to think our worth or our careers or yes. everything relies on a number or on something like yes. Instagram because yeah we're we're more than that and right? it extends beyond that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um and in terms of any other just little boundaries that I have, I don't give advice in DMs or anything like that because I think it's it would be unethical for me to try and give advice to someone without the full context of their life and their experience. So I have very good boundaries around responding to certain things and not responding to certain things. Um, And something that I do, this could be useful for anyone that shares, for any creators. I limit my comments so that only the people that actually follow me can comment mm-hmm. and it's not because I'm censoring anyone it's boundaries because you're made to believe that online you you can't have boundaries you should just take whatever happens to you no you can as long as you make even that small commitment of actually following so at least I can see that this profile exists here then say whatever you want to say let's have a conversation but I think when everything is kind of just free reign and open it does allow for trolls to come in and people think Again, you're not supposed to have boundaries. So I think it's a very tiny little thing that I do that allows me to also have better conversations. And it doesn't mean that um, everyone agrees. Far from it. In my comments, a lot of really wonderful things are said. People agree, disagree. It's always respectful. But um, that's something that I put in place to maintain my boundaries in the mm. digital world. That's Yeah, that's good to know. And yeah. also then it's got more of a community feel, which it exactly. should. It's your page. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's... I I think that's about it. What do you, what about you? With boundaries, I am making peace with not replying to people, which is so difficult. I'm such a people pleaser or I'm a former people pleaser. But I've had to really lean into the analogy of when people are coming into your inbox or coming into your space, it's like they're trying to come into your house. Yes. And actually if someone knocks on the door, it's okay. You don't have to let them in. If it's your friend, okay. But if it's a stranger... I don't know. I I felt like I was giving a lot of energy to very, very random requests. Yeah. And I thought something's really off here. So um, sometimes I delete. Yes, that's a good one. I do that too. Yeah, Which still makes me feel bad saying that. Like I feel bad saying that, but sometimes I'm just like, I need to pretend this never happened because I just need to get on with my job today. No, I I hear you. And again, um, the job is important because we work in a very, very unconventional way. If someone was to just come into your office and just bang on the door and ask a random question and they don't even work here, that would be fucking weird, wouldn't it? It's a strange use of your time. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you get to do that online. And I think it's each moment making peace with the fact that actually, as I was saying, someone else's urgency doesn't have to be yours. It doesn't have to be yours. But how do you sort of block then that sort of... A attack on your central nervous system when mm. someone's being so urgent because I don't know maybe I just need to kind of work that out but right. I feel like if you know when someone's energy is put onto you and they're like stressed mm. you I feel stressed and then I have to kind of you know make right. that go away is it through and like email for example mm. I think something that I've seen, one of my clients has this. I think it's just an automated message. I mean, it's yes, I, that's, done, that's what I can that. think, right? Because then you've actually technically replied. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think that's a good kind of barrier. No, I think that's a good boundary. 
I, th- yeah. I think that's good boundary because a barrier would mean you're blocking something and it's just you're detached from it. But I think it would be a good boundary because, again, as you said, you're technically responding to it and you will respond properly when you're able to. So I think that that's useful. I should do that. Yeah. I don't do yeah. that. Well, sorry for getting no, five but minutes I like of free that. coaching from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cheeky of me. Um, no, I but thank it. you. You're so, so good at what you do. So oh, thank you. Thank you. So my last question is... Um, we spoke about how we've moved on so much in the past year. Mm. What sort of springs to mind when you think of this time next year? Is there anything that you wish, I don't know, that we could, a point that you wish we could be at by then? Or, or how do you even hope that your career is by next year, you know? Right. Um, very good question. Sorry, it's a very widespread question. No, but... no, no. But I think it's a good one. I think it's a good one because I, well, I can say this I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. And some people might think maybe I'm not. Actually, I I tell people all the fucking time that I'm I'm hopeful. And the reason I am is because these conversations are happening. The fact that it's even happening at all, that makes me so hopeful. And the fact that when I speak to people, even those that might disagree on certain things, etc., we're always able to find common ground. And those are reminders that actually... People do want things to shift. People do. People Mm -hmm. do. And a lot of people are waking up from the trance of everything that happened last year. And I think people are starting to say, you know what, we need to be having conversations. We need to build some kind of understanding. We need to work as a collective. Um, We need to drop the entitlement. We need to drop the cyberbullying. So conversations are happening. And for me, conversations are at the root of any progress that we're going to make. Mm. Um, so that makes me hopeful. And I I think by this time next year, I want to I want to speak at more schools. I think it's great that adults love my work and what I do and that I work with adults, but I think we need to be having these conversations with the younger generation because they're much they're more impacted than any one else Mm -hmm. Um, because if we're experiencing cancel culture in this way imagine what it must be like to be even 11 12 13 and everything you say and do is documented on TikTok on Instagram on all of these platforms Um, and also I was speaking to a teacher who was telling me that young people are finding it very very difficult to communicate these days um, and they're more anxious than ever so I would like to, my focus for next year, I'm also writing a book at the moment, but I think that's going to take a while. You know, I was going to actually ask you off the mics <laughs> really? about the book because I didn't want to spring it on you, but it was me going, please write a book. Are you going to write a book? Tell us when you're going to write a book. Thank you. Now, now I've said it, I have to hold myself accountable. So that's happening. And I also, so I want to go into schools. So maybe someone listening to this can invite me to yes. their school or university. I would love to have in-person conversations and workshops with students so they can understand what self-censorship looks like, so they can understand the importance of being able to handle healthy disagreement, how to communicate, non-violent communication online and offline. Um, so that's what I that's what I want to do. So yeah, I'm putting it out there. Yeah. It's going to happen. Amazing. Well, thank yeah. you so, so much for this, oh. for you know meeting me in person and having this amazing chat. And I'll link to all of Africa's things below so everyone can go and sort of continue to follow and read and thank you thank you so much Uh, thank you so so much thank you